On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we're marching along with the youth, also known as Henry Fleming, as he battles with thoughts of desertion and heroism in Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage. We ask the question, have soldiers really changed in the last 150 plus years? Uh, just FYI, the answer is definitely no. No, definitely not. Also, why was Hollywood so backstabby back in the 1950s? Uh, content warning, uh, and this goes, I think, for the whole month. Um, we're going to be talking about war. Yeah. And nothing really good comes out of that. If, if you're sensitive about topics that include battles and fighting and shooting and things like that, it might be best to avoid this month. Welcome back, everybody. Mel B and Jackie D here. We're beginning our military month with Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage and the 1951 adaptation that starred Audie Murphy. If you haven't already, uh, please like, follow, share, etc. Follow us on the social medias. We would really, really appreciate it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's getting kind of fun. I was on Twitter earlier today. Yeah. We were waiting for the movie to start. I was... I learned some interesting facts about laws that Virginia is trying to pass about trying to ban books or ban youths from buying books. Come on, people. Aren't, we should be past that in our history, right? Like the whole banning books, banning freedom of speech. Like, right, we're done, right? Shouldn't we have been done with that? We should be. And, and the thing is, is if kids are truly impacted by stuff like that, then somebody has failed along the way. Yeah, aka their parents, because that's really who's to blame. Because one of the one of the books that they're talking about banning from schools and keeping minors from buying is a book that you and I have both read, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my daughter read. Mm -hmm. And I would let my daughter read it. She's totally fine. Yeah, there are there are some some sexy scenes in it, but it's not like I wouldn't call them explicit or graphic by any means. I mean. Jackie and I have read some some stuff out there that we would not let our daughters read while they live under our roof. <laughs> yeah, no. And if they did live under my roof, then I would just be like, don't make eye contact with me. If you see yeah. me in the kitchen in the morning making coffee, just turn around and walk away. I yeah. don't want to see your face while you're reading this book. Yeah, And once you're finished, we need at least a month before we can make eye contact again. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the the book that uh, they're talking about banning from the schools and keeping minors from buying at Barnes and Noble, honestly, the only hesitation I had about Annabelle reading that was her having unrealistic expectations about what guys are like. Yeah, because they set the bar so high oh, in so these books. High. <laughs> We're talking about you, Reese. We're talking about you. Yeah. I mean, these, these romance novels, they, they really, these new contemporary, uh, okay, the older ones too, but some of these new ones, I mean, they really do just set the bar so high that our girls, well, not, okay, okay, listen, that's what they should be expecting, please. Like, that is what, that is where you should set your bar for sure, mm -hmm. but yeah, let's just be real. Let's just be real. We love our yeah. husbands dearly, you know, our partners, um... But they are definitely no Reese. 
or Cassian or yeah. any of the other dark brooding males that we've read in our novels. <laughs> Um, I mean, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, Reese is, is my, my epitome of. Yeah, he really is. He's one that like, like we entered into this genre with him. So there, there is no other. Mm -hmm. Um, There are very, very close seconds that we would not kick out of bed by any means or out of the house or out of the state. But if Reese is around, like. (laughs) Everything else is getting burned to the ground. Everything. Uh, so we definitely went off on a tangent there, um, but I guess we could bring it back to another sort of dark brooding male, which is Audie Murphy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's, he's he, I don't think he's that dark or brooding. Um, I do know that he had some serious undiagnosed PTSD, so maybe he was mm-hmm. broody, uh, but he was a looker for sure. He was, he was, he really was. As far as that time frame is concerned i would put him up there with my Cary grant or gregory peck oh yeah no he's he's a he's a good look they don't make them like that anymore my only no. complaints about audie murphy though is he's tiny mm-hmm. he's tiny like he would work for you he's he would me not sized work. he is <laughs> you size He's a solid like five four or something like that. I'm five seven. I can't. I'm and five eight on a good day. So there's there's no way. <laughs> so I would, I would just I would never be able to wear heels around him. But I would have no issues with that. Yeah, and I know what people are gonna say. They're like, "Hey, don't disrespect the short kings." I'm not. I'm not disrespecting the short kings. It's just more of a personal thing that I have where I don't want to feel like an Amazon. And Steven already does that to me when we're in pictures, but standing mm-hmm. next to each other, he is larger than I am. He is taller than I am. But for some reason, the way he slouches, if we're in pictures sitting down, I look like I'm fucking massive next to him. And it just, it hurts my soul. And I would rather, you know, not have to deal with that. I don't need that type he of negativity sh- in my life. He should be ashamed of himself as a former Marine. He really should be slouching. He should not like slouch. That. Yeah. That mother. He's like, why don't you don't sit so straight? I'm like, what do you mean don't sit so straight? I have good posture. Uh, anyway, we're, oh man, we're getting off on tangents today. I have one more though, because I really would like to talk about what we just experienced this morning, Jackie. Oh my God. Yes. We went. To, I don't know if anyone listened to last week's episode. We, we got off on a tangent about the Alamo Draft House and the special things that they do for movies. So we went and had brunch and watched Elvis. And it was so. Oh, it was amazing. It was good. amazing. The best. Basil Lauren, oh my God. Because Moulin Rouge is probably up there in my top five favorite I think movies we need ever. to watch that after we finish recording. I love that movie. I love it's that best. movie. So the first time I saw that, it was a friend of mine, I think in high school or college, she like, she rented it and we were watching it in her basement. Her parents had like just redid the basement. And really what it was supposed to be was like a makeout party because all the boyfriends and all these other kids were there. Uh, so they just put this movie on for background noise, essentially. But I was so engrossed with it. I was like, oh. <gasps> And I remember when it ended, I was in tears. I was applauding and I looked around and everyone around me is just like making out. And then they're slowly stopping and looking at me. And I also I, remember like the guy that was dedicated to me just was kind of like laid back next to 
to be on the couch and he I guess Was I he zonked out. No, no, I think I inadvertently forced him to watch Moulin Rouge, but he did enjoy it too. His name was Kevin. I remember him. <laughs> but he, after a minute, he realized he wasn't getting any. So he was like, oh, I guess I'll enjoy the movie. Yeah, the, the first time I saw it was actually my junior year of college at University of Pittsburgh. One of my roommates, actually two of my roommates, because it was me and three other girls in this apartment. And uh, the two of them were heavy into musical theater back in at, at home. And uh, they loved this movie. So they put it on one night and I happened to walk out of my bedroom into the living room and they were watching the, watching it. And I heard a David Bowie song. So mm-hmm. I'm like, what is this? It had everything. Nirvana, yes. David Bowie, Elton John. The Beatles. What else do you need? Yeah. What else do you need? Nothing. Um, but let's get back to this. So our dedication this week, uh, because we are focusing our first book and adaptation of the month is dedicated to the Civil War. So Jackie, who are we dedicating our F-bombs to? My lovely, wonderful, very, very much into the Civil War mother. Yes. Okay. Mother, this one's for you. I'll try to keep the cursing to a minimum. So on that note, uh, Jackie, what are we drinking this week? Uh, we we are drinking my little find at Wally World. A very good find. Yes. It is the Crown Royal Washington Apple, ready to drink. What's more American than that? Nothing. I know. And it has like flavors of apple and cranberry. So I'm thinking New England and all yeah. this other fun stuff. Because we're Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Totally. Need no rebels here. It is not the war of northern aggression. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm also drinking this. Jackie got a four pack. So we're we're tapping on top of the drinks that we had earlier during our Elvis, our three hours of Elvis. And just so you know, three hours for this movie does not feel long. I usually can't deal with that length of a movie, especially in a theater. But this one, when it ended, I was like, oh, it's over already? Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we didn't look for any drinking. Well, actually, I think Jackie like tried. She did a preliminary search, and there was nothing. Nothing exists. Yeah, because this movie is from 1951. I don't think there's a lot of people out there trying to get turned to 1951 movies. Um, so we probably will lay off the drinking games for this month. It is going to be a bit of a, a bit more of a somber month. We're going to try and keep it lighthearted, but. I don't know how lighthearted you can get it when we're talking about war. And there's a lot of, um, most of these are sort of true stories. This is the only one that isn't. Yes. Yeah, this is the only one that's fiction. The yeah. rest are uh, nonfiction, but written in a fictional type of way. You know, there's some creative liberties, but they are based on true stories. Uh, so it's a drinking game. But if you must, we created a little one for you for this 69 minute movie. Um, you can go ahead and drink anytime they say uh, Jim Dandy or My Jiminy, and that'll get you pretty turned. Mm-hmm. But you got to be careful because they'll say them in like quick succession. They're like, oh, my Jim Dandy, Jim Dandy, Jim Dandy, Jim Dandy. And you're like, shit. <laughs> so we are back to our uh, our normal way that we do this show. We will pick who reads first and then who watches first. And then we swap to see how that affects our, you know, take on the adaptation. This week, 
I watched first. I went ahead and bought it on Apple because that's just what I do. It's easy. It's easy. And I think it was only like eight bucks or something like that. And then I went ahead and read the physical copy because, you know, I do love a good harder paperback. It is the Dover Thrift Editions. It was originally published under this house in 1990. And it looks like a, I feel like this is one of those you'd get in school. Like this is the, the school version. Actually, I think that is what the version looked like when I read it in ninth grade. In yeah, this English. is definitely like a scholastic yeah. type copy. Yep. So that's me. Yep. I read first Kindle edition, of course, Pandora's box classics. Uh, most of the classics, I think the little women that I read was also a Pandora's box classics. Mm. And then I watched on uh, Mel's Apple because I'm cheap. <laughs> or it just, since you're under the same roof right now, it just makes sense. True story. <laughs> that would be really stupid. <laughs> like I'm going to buy my own copy. I don't want your copy. Yeah, like, honestly, all right. I don't think I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. So, yeah. And then I was yeah. thinking about. Um, mm. So it, this is so off topic, but I have to bring it up. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter and Instagram about this thing with Kindle, where people are buying books, reading them, and then returning them to get a refund. And all it's doing is taking money out of that author's pocket. It doesn't hurt Amazon whatsoever because Amazon's no. not taking a loss at it. That's no. why like when we buy these books or these movies for this podcast, we, this might be the only time we read or watch it, but I'm not going to return it. Yeah, never. Even, even the, uh, remember that series that we started to read and I bought it on Kindle, the, yeah. the high mountain, high mountain course. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, two of those books, and I did not buy the third one. Two of those books are still sitting in my on my shelf in my Kindle library. I don't have them downloaded or anything. I would never think to return them. Yeah, it's silly, and I don't know why people are doing that. If you're that cheap, then maybe go to the library. Like, yeah, that's what that's for. Because guess don't what? Treat. Most libraries allow digital copies of books now. They will have yeah. them. And you can return it. You can go to any app. I forget what the app is, but basically it's like you find your library near you and you just register online, get an electronic library card and do that. But mm -hmm. like, stop, stop people. All right, that's our PSA for there. <laughs> I'll put my yeah. soup box away. I just read that. And I was like, this is infuriating. Like, stop, go to the library. All right, let's talk about this book and this movie that we're getting into this story. And we have this week, um, well, probably this whole month, we are going to pull up some interesting facts and, and tidbits about it. And then some background on the author, the persons involved in the events, and then the war itself, just to provide some context. Okay. The overview of the book is Henry Fleming has joined the United, uh, the Union Army because of his romantic ideas of military life but soon finds himself in the middle of a battle against a regiment of Confederate soldiers. Terrified, Henry deserts his comrades. Upon returning to his regiment, he struggles with his shame as he tries to redeem himself and prove his courage. This was first published in 1895 by D. Appleton and Company of New York. So 
and just so you know, Stephen Crane was not alive or did not fight in the Civil War. So right. he, was, he was he wasn't even he was born after the Civil yeah. War ended. So the movie the IMD says uh, real war hero, and this is a fact. Audie Murphy stars as a young Union soldier who fights to atone for a moment of cowardice during the Civil War. Action-packed drama is based on the Stephen Crane novel and directed by Oscar winner John Huston. So, or Huston? I think it's Huston. I don't know. Nah, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so, Audie Murphy, yes, he is an actual war hero. And in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about his life. But this is an interesting part for him to play. It's it's not his first, but it is one of his early, early roles that he did. And I think he, he was acting for about 20 years. But he was he did serve in World War II. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So Jackie and I found some cool little tidbits about this. Some of them are wild, though, on the part about Hollywood being backstabby. Because this movie is about 69 minutes. Somebody that's just over an hour. But it was originally supposed to be like two hours. Yep. They were going to release this like an epic. Mm -hmm. But they released it instead as a part B type movie. Because back in the day, you didn't just go see one movie. It was like some opening show, then the feature film. And then there was like a follow on or something that you get while you're there. So this was like a... After the main movie played, you'd get this one as a bonus, sort of. So kind of kind of crazy there. Uh, all right. John Huston, the director, so he considered this one of his best films ever. He, when they found out that the company or the production company, MGM Studios, was going to cut the movie down to about just over an hour, they, they tried to buy the rights to it. I think him and... Uh, Audie, right? They wanted mm-hmm. to buy the rights to the movie so that they could, you know, release it in its whole intact self. But after they were struggling to do that with lawsuits and everything, the studio was just like, nah, we don't we actually destroyed all the footage that we that we cut from it. So I find it hard to believe. Really hard. Yeah, to they're believe. like, sucks to suck, dude. Well, and and if it wasn't destroyed actually before that fact, after they said it, they probably went back and burned it. Yeah, because it, it, if they destroyed it, it probably was because they were going to win, the, mm-hmm. the director and Audi. Yeah, because why would you? Why would you destroy your own stuff? So yeah, they, they fucking just were like, nah. But I, and then there's some other stuff where um, I don't know if we have it in here. The one when they first premiered it. And right, you're saying, oh, yeah, they when they first that one of the screenings, they misled the audience and told them that it was a comedy. And because the audience was expecting a comedy when they saw it, uh, they're like, this isn't funny at all. And the reviews were absolutely scathing. Yeah, they tried to sabotage this film from left and right all over the place. It was ridiculous. It just makes no sense. Like, why would you even devote the resources to it if you want nothing to do with it? Like, just well, I think I think the deal was that Mayor of MGM, Metro Golden Mayor, mm-hmm. wanted Houston for another film. Houston would not sign on unless he got to do this film. 
Oh. And Mayer tried to sabotage it along the way. And from what I read, it cost over a million dollars to make this film. Damn. And they did not recover those costs. A million dollars in yes. the late 40s? Yep. Early 50s? That's massive. Yep. That's so much money. Mm -hmm. Just a waste. Oh, my God. Yep. Man, Hollywood's damn. Yep. Damn. So, backstabby Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Destroyed probably this movie. And we'll talk about that uh, coming up soon. But, I mean, overall, the the movie is not a bad movie. I think even with all the cuts, it it still is a classic. But we'll we'll start talking about, like, what? There's another thing that I read that I did not put in the outline and that the the narration in the movie Uh was added after the fact because they did initial screenings without it and the audience did not like it. So they added the narration after the fact. Oh, did they just not know what was going on? They needed somebody to hold their hand? Yeah, I mean, I mean. Audie Murphy is very skilled at looking off in the distance and conveying a feeling, but for the average viewer, I don't think they would get that. Yeah, I can see that. that. Also just setting the timeline and everything and and what's actually happening. Maybe just there's some extra narration. The beginning narration, I didn't really have a problem with, but it's like randomly throughout the movie. I'm like, we don't, I don't need it. I'm good. I I know what's happening. Thank you. Moving on. Um, so, there's some things also about Audie Murphy that we want to talk about real quick before we get into his background. So here's something to understand. So this movie is about a young, young, young guy, probably 17, 18, that wants to join the army. He's like all about it. He He's very obsessed with like, Greek mythology, not like directly, but there's a lot of references to it and have, have the glory of war per se. Mm-hmm. So he, he wants to go and do this. He gets there and sort of has a freak out moment when he actually sees battle for the first time. And he runs, doesn't run away entirely. Like he just runs away from the, like the front line. Um, Adi Murphy is a war hero, like an actual bona fide war hero. We're going to talk about he he is probably one of the most combat veteran, decorated veterans ever. We have the Arnold Murphy board. Yeah. Like there's, there's awards now called the Arnold Murphy. If if you win that board, you are the top soldier in the army. So to think about, like sit back and consider that like he's playing this kid and it was rough for him to do so. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of information behind the scenes where Audie Murphy is, is not doing that great. And it, I think it really comes down to the fact that he did have undiagnosed, like severe PTSD. Oh yeah. So there's a lot of outbursts behind the scenes. There's him like beating up people on set or near the set or on location. Um, it, and the way you read about it, everyone's like, ha 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 ha. That's that's cute or endearing. It's like, no, this this guy was suffering. And now you're just putting him into a bunch of war movies. And now you're making him play a war movie. Well, granted, not anyone nobody held a gun to his head. Um, 
but he's sitting there having to portray a coward, which he is not. So I can understand how that was just probably traumatizing for him and, and a lot to try and wrangle internally. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know there's maybe people out there that have never experienced combat, never experienced military life or are so far removed from it where you can't come to terms with why that is such a big deal. But from two military veterans here, we can tell you like that, that is a big deal from how you are conditioned in the military and how you carry yourself. I I think I would have, you know, some struggles with this too, to have Mm -hmm. that sort of portray that type of character. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to get into it. Audie Murphy still did a great job. Um, so let's come back to some of these when we get in here. But let's talk about the reviews. Okay, Goodreads. Uh, the average rating was a 3.28 out of 5. Uh, those ratings or that average comes from almost 100,000 ratings. Uh, it's like 99,077 ratings. The reviews, people actually putting text down is 3,953. The highest percentage was 33%, and that was three out of five. Hmm. So this is very definitely a middle of the road kind of thing. And a thought occurred to me because I think the five out of five ratings on Little Women were much higher percentage than anything else. I think I made the comment that people were afraid to give a bad review. Yeah. This almost makes me think that women being the lead character makes people more afraid than men being the main character. Or maybe even just the topic here, because it is about war, um, American war. I think you get a lot of that. Like, And I also think this is one of those books that, probably a lot of people were forced to read in school. So you might be getting reviews from high schoolers or middle schoolers that have been forced to read this, that maybe are avid readers on their own. So they have a Goodreads account. So they read this and they're like, fuck this book, which listen, I had no judgment there. We get it. It's (laughs) yeah. And, and all of the reviews that I found that I'm, I'm going to talk about, they were clearly out of school, but Mm. a lot of the reviews that I read uh, were people who were forced to read this in school and yeah. they were trying to go back and give it a second chance. But this one, people had no issues giving negative comments about it. Well, let's hear it. Yeah. Okay, the five out of five that I found that I liked uh, says, this book made my heart race and made, my, made me hear gunfire. I think Crane manages to create the perfect visceral novel. Sure, there is symbolism, symbolism if you want it, But at its core, this book is about experience. Like a delicate flower, talking about symbolism, this book is easily ruined by too much prodding attention. Just read it, take it in, let yourself get dragged into the story and imagery. Don't think, don't read it too closely to prepare for a paper or discussion. Just experience it. I would never teach this book in a class. I would just mention it as one of my favorites and possibly leave a few copies around. You know what? I respect I, that because the close reading that they're talking about that I, that does kind of destroy books when you do that close reading. Yeah, especially this when you're talking about a book that was written by a war correspondent at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. 
close reading and prodding and trying to find meaning that isn't there is going to ruin yeah. the book for you. Yeah. This is definitely Absolutely. one of those. This is one of those classics. Like if you look at the other classics that this, um, uh, Dover Thrift Editions uh, sponsors. It has like the Odyssey. It has um, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Dublin. Like it has these books that are very, 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 very deep, deep, deep books. I think it has Candid by Voltaire. Yeah, it does. So like Romeo and Juliet, these are where Othello. So these are those that like lend themselves uh, well to like critical literary theory. I actually just mm-hmm. took a class on that and had to do this. Yeah. So that's, I just don't think this book is okay. Not that you can't like you, you can, but I, I don't think it's meant to be read that way. It's meant just well, for the yeah, experience. You mentioned, you mentioned some Shakespeare works. Shakespeare is the king of saying one thing, but meaning another. Yeah. I don't think Stephen Crane was the same kind of person. No. And his, he's writing the dialogue in their like banter and dialect like you have to it took me a minute to actually get into the flow of reading their dialogue I struggled because yeah because it he does it in the spelling like of how they would pronounce like their actual pronunciation down there in the south and <laughs> it's not the I just, cleanest i would just imagine a book being written by somebody from pittsburgh written in pittsburghese the struggles <laughs> that people would have trying to get through it jeejit no jew what what? <laughs> okay. Uh, next review, three out of five. And this is one of the few Goodreads reviews that I've actually found that had a title. They gave it a title. It was in caps or not in caps, but bolded. And then they put the rest of the text down below, but their title was an odd book. Okay. Okay. One of my partners in, in investigations was a retired general. Erudite, wise, knowledgeable about many things he hated this little book called it a celebration of cowardice i can see his point but in the end the youth henry i believe he was called is redeemed though i never warmed to him my objection to the book centers upon crane's use of strange descriptions and odd metaphors i highlighted some of those i also found it overly verbose in many passages still it seems to contain some truths about soldiers and combat Two and a half stars rounded up to three. Yeah. But I also think that's just the, the style of the writing during that time. Yeah. I mean, what's her face? Louisa May Alco, Little Women. That, is, oh, that was verbose. Ugh. Yeah. I don't need to know every intimate detail about doing the laundry. Uh-huh. I really don't. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or hemming something. <laughs> or like, cats. We got it. Yeah, cats we got everywhere. it. Yeah. Fuck your cats and fuck your dolls and fuck you, you dumb ass, no character Beth. Moving yeah. on. Okay. But she was good in uh, Sharp Objects. Well, the actress. Yes. The character itself in the book and that movie, Beth is awesome. just, yeah. I don't understand that character. It's worthless. A worthless character. Anyway, it's sorry. We're off time. Yeah. Yeah. One out of five. All of my reviews are short tonight since I'm still running on three hours of sleep from the 24-hour readathon. But oh suffice God. to say that all you need to know about this book is that Henry is full of himself and is a coward, and I really dislike staying up until almost 2 a.m. reading this garbage. Tell us how you really feel. I want to know if this person has ever served 
in the military or been in any kind of combat situation? Um, I want to argue that I don't think it matters. Yeah. Because the way he's saying he's like full of himself and is a coward, the fact that they say he's full of himself first, I think it, his the depiction of this character really is. And I think the author means to do that. Mm-hmm. To like make you against him. He doesn't yeah. have any redeeming qualities. And then even when he does have like his redemption arc, it's you're kind of left with like, okay, I guess keep it up. You're, you're not really swayed too hard. Well, I wasn't at least. No, even even his redemption arc, as you call it, I hated it because yeah. ultimately all I he cared about again. was him. Yeah, all he cared about was himself and what everybody yeah. thought about him. And he was like embarrassed for the soldiers behind. Like that was all his motivation. There was nothing where like we're gonna we need to win this battle so we can win this war because it means something. You know, we're mm-hmm. fighting for the union army and this is what we stand for and this is our goal and our mission and these are my brothers in arms and let's do this there was never any of that it's just him but again he's a child so Mm -hmm. okay so imdb has this at 7.1 out of 10 but here's the thing there's only about a slightly over 4,000 user reviews Hmm. and the number of people that actually wrote something i'm pretty sure is less than 100 Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I like to do like a one le- a, a one and a 10. I couldn't even find a one. There are none. There are people that rated it one, but nobody wrote anything. The lowest I could find this was the only one was a two. And the title is, gee, Wally, I sure am scared. <laughs> That's Jeez. the title. The writing is terrible. The story isn't much better. I've heard this title for many years. Now that I saw this movie, I don't understand why it's so well known. And running towards people with guns shooting at you while you only have a flag is just plain dumb. Did they ever take a history class? I know, I know. Wasn't the Civil War one of the last uh, wars fought in Napoleonic warfare? Um, like regiments charging at each other? Uh, I don't know. If not the last, and definitely one of the last. One of the last major ones. And I also think it, it you have to consider, um, are we talking strictly like Western type battles or are we going to take into consideration uh, like the whole world? I, I'm thinking strictly Western type battles, but I'm also thinking about technology because World War yeah. One brought in all kinds of other fun stuff like oh, mustard gas and stuff like that, that didn't require you to but also with world war one though i think it is a transition because you still had the you had the trenches which i Mm -hmm. think really is just a the same thing in a different skin if that makes sense well you're lined up you're stationary and you're going in there and they still had uh horse mounted cavalry in world war one because my great-grandfather was in the german cavalry uh a nazi uh, it was pre-Nazi. Thank you very much. Um, uh, it was all about there... the Kaiser. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Okay. We'll leave that at that. But we will Google this uh, Napoleonic battlefront. Just, just so everybody who is listening knows, I was in the United States Army. I'm an American. So Barely. America. 
<laughs> I was born here. I was born here. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and my mother was a citizen when I was born, so even more sad. My dad sure. wasn't, but you know, whatever. That's why I say barely. Okay, uh, here's a 10 out of 10. It says riveting. John Huston's camera and sense of drama and tension make this one of the best soldiers eye movies ever made. You really got to feel for the confusion Civil War recruits must have experienced, not during battle, but before and after. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when orders appear to be arbitrary and nothing is ever explained. So here's the thing. That's not just the Civil War, okay? No. That is every war from the beginning of time to the end of time, Okay. Yeah. Uh, The cast is wonderful, including many who show up for less than 30 seconds, giving their all for their roles. Audie Murphy never had it so good with this material and backdrop. A truly literate action movie that has a soul and a vision. Loved it. This this makes me think of that thing that I found that said that uh, John Huston didn't want to cast like typical Hollywood types for the crowd scene. Oh, so he yes, had his, yes, he yes. had his PAs go to uh, pool halls in Chico and get the the crusty people in the pool halls to play soldiers. For what the did he call scenes. them? Like darndest sons of SOBs or something? Something something like that. He just wanted them to go find some dirty mofos. Yeah. To come look like Pe- tattered people who are hang- yeah. People who are hanging out in a pool hall in Chico, California at like 10 o'clock in the morning on probably a Tuesday. Oh my God. Can you imagine you're just like down in your luck hanging out in this pool hall, like you said, on Tuesday morning, just yeah. hating life. And then somebody comes in like, hey, you want to be in a classic? Mm-hmm. You're going to go down in history. Maybe it wasn't yeah. just like that, but. <laughs> yeah. so okay. You want to be, this- be an extra in a movie? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like, what? I don't be in no darn movie. I found this six out of 10. It's pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of lengthy. So just bear with me. But let me know when the, the, the weird, crazy point uh, pops out. So it's smoke and confusion is the title. Not the least of which results from the studio cutting a critical 20 minutes from the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm Pretty sure we just talked about it being more like an hour. What remains is a good depiction of the confusion of the troops, the smoke from black powder rifles enveloping the battlefield, being able to hear the rebel yell long before they become visible. Audie Murphy is very good as the youth and he wrestles with his sense of duty set against his fear of skedaddling. Oh, skedaddling. That's the word. Yeah. (laughs) Skedaddle. But there are clear disjoints in the movie and noticeable plot exposition missing from the book. And the dialogue, what happened to the fiendish blasphemy of the veteran troops? John Houston may have made a great Civil War movie. Who knows? What's left is good, but I don't think it compares favorably in its present state to a film made 20 years earlier. And I like how they brought this up. It's a comparison between All Quiet on the Western Front, mm-hmm. which is a World War um, One movie. But I think it was like 1930 or something it came out. Yeah, which and it is was a, from the German movie. perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, amazing movie. And actually, uh, Netflix is redoing, remaking that movie, and it should be out this summer, so soon. Ooh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Should be good. Mm. Uh, so yeah, all quiet on the restaurant front, different war I know, which examined many of the same issues and more. This was one of the first Civil War movies I saw as a kid, and I wanted to like it more when I watched it last night. But in between came my second divorce. (gasps) (laughs) When I read a dozen Civil War books, including both the trilogies of Bruce Catton and Shelby Foote, it just seemed appropriate to my personal experience at the time. What? I know, I know, I know. Okay, I'm not laughing at this guy's divorce, but just the fact that he's like, I got to put this into my review. (laughs) Uh, Clearly, though, today's depictions of battlefield scenes, the attack on the sunken road and um, Antietam. How do you say that word again? Antietam. Antietam. That's right. Although although Uh, my my parents' friend Dieter says Antietam. But he's that doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, that doesn't make It's Antietam. Yeah, Antietam Creek and Glory are much more realistic in terms of the horrible damage inflicted on a human body by 50 caliber lead shot and slow oh, muzzle. Oh, God. Yeah. Glory, mm-hmm. the opening scene of Glory, somebody's head gets blown open. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But this film was also 1951. So I yeah. don't think they were quite ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, muscle velocity, solid cannon shot and grape. I suppose that one of the things that detracted from my enjoyment of the film as an adult was the fact that the battle was generic. There was no army of the, uh, I'm having an issue. Yeah. I'm having an issue with these, these names today. I'm sorry. Or general, he says white size, but I think he means winter size. Cause it's not the general. In I honestly can't remember. Yeah, he, so he says uh, Rappahannock or General Whitesides, but I'm pretty sure in the book it's winter, or the movie, I should say, it's Winterside that they come up with. Um, while I realize that the intended function of making it a fictitious or unnamed battle may be to emphasize the allegorical principles, it took me out of the film in spots. So what he's saying is he became like a serious Civil War buff during his second divorce. So mm-hmm. him rewatching this was just... He doesn't like fiction in his Civil War. No. How would your mom react to this? Has she seen this? What, uh, this movie? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, this, this is, she shies away from fiction altogether. Yeah. So and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Gettysburg would be the only, and for those of you who don't know, the movie Gettysburg is based on a book called The Killer Angels. Mm-hmm. That is historical fiction. There are characters in that book, in that movie, that did not exist in real life. Yeah, She can get behind that because the depictions of the actual people were pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Uh, although she and her friend Allison make fun of the way that Martin Sheen talks sometimes as Lee, they they think that he was too genteel, like too soft spoken, oh. um, <clears throat> stupid stuff like that. Um, but I mean, why throw your second divorce in there? I mean, I know, I know. So wait, so really, what's going on here is he liked it as a kid. He got divorced for a second time, and and drowned his sorrows in civil war uh nonfiction, and then when he came back to this movie he was like this is not correct that's I mean, what, that's it's, what we're it's a choice but all i'm getting out of this is angry white man that's all i get out of this review right here yeah meanwhile the the woman 
that gets divorced a second time is drowning her sorrows in books that we like that are about to get banned. Yeah. <clears throat> I respect it. Let's start with the characters in the story. There's there's a lot, but there's not a lot. We have the youth, which is uh, Henry Fleming, played by Audie Murphy. Uh, we have the tall soldier, who's Jim Conklin. Conklin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The loud soldier, Wilson, and then some lieutenant, <laughs> and then there's some other soldiers. Uh, the movie is just the same. We get like the tattered soldier, which is both the movie and the book. I don't think they introduced the only one I feel like they introduced um, was the general, even though he's in the book, but he's not like a forward figure in the book. He's just like, well, the general said this, or I overheard the general, like the general is not actually having open dialogue with anyone of the main. Yeah. Characters. He's, he's talked about, but he never actually does any of the talking. Yeah, so in the movie, you get the general who comes and is a bigger part of all this. Yeah, asks everybody what they're having for supper. Yeah, it's like, that didn't happen. But anyway, good enough. So the casting of this, like we said, Audie Murphy is Henry Fleming, or the youth. Uh, The loud soldier is Tom Wilson, who's played by Bill Malden. Maldine? Malden? Malden, Uh, yeah. The lieutenant is Douglas Dick. The The tattered man is Royal... Dano, which when I was looking through stuff, apparently like he was a big actor. Yeah. I yeah. they they offered him a lot of money for this, and he only was in the movie for like 30 seconds. I think a little bit more than that, because they had him on the road, then the whole scene with Jim. Mm-hmm. And then I think he came back. I don't remember. But it's it maybe like a minute and a half. Um yeah. and then Jim Conklin, who is the tall soldier. So we had a, a who's played by uh John. Dirks? Dirks, yeah. I mean, Dirks? I think a Dirks Bentley, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it does yeah. look like. Um, so apparently all of these actors were pretty well-known and big at the time. Yeah, and Bill Malden, and that is one of the facts that I found, uh, he was also a veteran. Uh, he was true, yeah. well-known as a cartoonist. Yes, And yes. he actually served with Audie Murphy's unit in Italy. Yeah. So they knew each other beforehand. That is cool, because they do have an Mm -hmm. interesting relationship in the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so there's there's a lot of other characters, per se. It's a huge regiment. Like, there's a lot of people there. It's just, maybe they say one thing, maybe somebody else says something later. There's not a lot of um, focus on them. So something a little different this month, we're going to give you some background on the war, the event, the the persons involved, just so you get some context before we get into this. Because for the most that we're seeing is the movies and the books really don't depart too far from each other. Um, because the whole purpose of the movie is, or the adaptation, is to convey what's in the book or the story. So, and a lot of it after this one is nonfiction. So uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of true departures i hope because at that point it's like the fact is the fact either keep it or don't Mm -hmm. Um, so so this uh the red badge courage is a book about the civil war um the civil war is from april april 12th 1861 to may 9th 1865 and no if we have foreign listeners or, or younger listeners i'm not familiar with this yet civil war um was when the South succeeded from the North and decided they wanted to be their own nation because there was a lot of 
it's a very nuanced war, but the big thing is the topic of slavery, where the North was against it. They don't want to do it. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. They want to end the practice of owning slaves. But the South are like, this is what we've been doing. This is how we function. This is how what our economy is based on. Like you can't can't just you can't vote up north and change our lives down here. So, and we see this a lot, even today's elections and stuff where, you know, New York, LA, um, like these huge cities get, um, they'll overrun the state, the whole state uh, with, because there's such a high concentration of people there. And they usually are not, like-minded to the ones that are living in more rural situations or rural settings. So that's yeah, no, a lot part. of it was a lot of it was the, the fact that the, the North wanted federal law to dictate whether or not people could own slaves, but the South wanted to keep it at a state level state. Yeah. They want yeah. the 10th amendment to, so that's the civil war. That's what this space book up. And it seems like this book is written or, or depicts sort of the middle of the war, um, but also maybe in an area where like this regiment is not seeing a lot of action. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, well, they're, they're newer. New. Yeah. They're yeah. newer soldiers. So they're, they're not hardened veterans yet, but we, ha- we do get a little bit encounters with those type of characters in the book. Stephen Crane though, he was a, uh, he was born 1871 and he passed away in 1900. He was 29 years old. Um, he was young. He was young when he passed, but he did a lot with his life. There's an excerpt in the beginning of the book that talks about him and I'll read it for you. He was an American novelist, a poet, a bohemian, a war correspondent, and is best remembered for this book, The Red Badge of Courage. Uh, this novel of the Civil War is a realistic record of the day-to-day, almost the minute-to-minute existence of the common soldier, uh, and at the same time, a psychological probe of a youthful personality. The version of the novel is reprinted here is published during the author's lifetime. So this is the um, true-to-form what he wrote. So I think somebody might ask, well, if he was born after the war was already over for several years, and then by the time he got to an age where he can write about it, how can it be so accurate? Well, if you think about it, uh, we have World War II veterans, Vietnam veterans, um, and we have movies and books being written about there because you have someone who has an interest in it and then goes back and does their research and the work to interview these people because this is, by the time he's probably writing it, it was like 1895 when this was published. So consider 1890. There's still going to be Civil War veterans that are alive. Because a lot of them are very, very young when this started. So they're mm-hmm. they're going to be of an age where they can talk about it. And I think that this is just a good um, example of just very, very good journalism skills, I would say. To be able to, to record that and then uh, convey it back in such a realistic way, I guess. Yeah. Then we're going to talk about Audie Murphy real quick. We talked about him a lot earlier, but really everyone I think needs to understand why this guy is such a big deal. So he was born June 20th, 1925. He died actually in a plane crash here in Roanoke, Virginia in uh, May 28th, 1971. So this is his birthday week that we are recording this. So happy birthday to Don Murphy. If this is what if you research him. This is 
anywhere you go, you're going to see these lines. Like he was one of the most decorated American combat soldiers of World War II. He received every military combat award for valor available from the United States Army, as well as French and Belgium awards for heroism. Murphy received the Medal of Honor, which is, if you're not American or unfamiliar with the Medal of Honor, is probably like the most prestigious award uh, for valor and honor that you can get as a, as a veteran or as a, a military. A lot of times, a lot of times it is awarded posthumously. Yes. It's very rare that you have a living recipient of it because what they've done for the most part um, to earn that is they've essentially given their life during these events to uh, save mm-hmm. their comrades or, or turn the events of a battle. Um, so it's very rare that you have a living recipient of it. Yep. So he he received the Medal of Honor for Valor that he demonstrated at the age of 19 for single-handedly holding off a company of German soldiers for an hour at the Colmer Pocket in France. So that was in January of 1945. And then leading a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. I think he got struck and essentially like shredded his leg mm-hmm. is the injury that he got from that. Uh, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, this is going back in 1941, Murphy's older sister actually helped him falsify documents to uh, about his birth date so he could meet the minimum age. So he joined the military under the minimum age. This was very common at the time. A lot of uh, boys wanted to join, but you had to be, I, th- I believe, 18. And mm-hmm. most of them found a way to falsify their birth certificate to say that they were. Um, he tried to join... Uh, several of the branches, Marine Corps, Navy, he tried Army as well, but he was underweight because he's tiny. He's a tiny little dude. He was eventually able to enlist in the Army. Then in 1943, after his training and he deployed with his unit, he was saw action in the Allied invasion of Sicily. That's huge. Um, then in 1944, he participated in the Battle of uh, Enzio, I think it's called, right? And that's the liberation of Rome and then the, uh, the invasion of Southern France. So Jackie went ahead and found all of the medals that he's received. If you want to list, go through them, cause there's a lot. Yeah. The, the last two, <clears throat> um, and I'm going to leave them off for now, but the last two are, um, outside of that military service in world war two, but he received the medal of honor, which Mel already talked about the distinguished service cross two silver stars, a legion of merit, two bronze star medals, one with a V device. And that V stands for valor, by the way, Mm -hmm. three purple hearts. And for those of you who don't know, you get a purple heart when you are wounded in combat. Mm -hmm. So he was wounded three times. Mm -hmm. Legion of honor from France. Uh, I'm going to butcher this so bad. Croix de Guerre. Yeah. With a silver star from France. Croix de Guerre. With palm. Three of those from France. And a Croix de Guerre. With palm from Belgium. Yeah. So other countries are awarding him for being fucking amazing. (laughs) Yeah. France and Belgium are like, you know what? That guy's all right. Yeah. We like him. That's And that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, to receive an award, a badge, a medal, or any sort of rec- or commendation from a partner country or, or, or another country is is a huge deal mm-hmm. in the military. So he got three, actually four. And he got four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
And on, no, actually five. Oh, yeah, yeah, five. Yep, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, and after that, he got an Outstanding Civilian Service Medal and the Texas Legislative Medal of Honor. So I don't know if the people of Texas think that ranks higher than the United States <laughs> Medal of Honor. It would it not surprise me, but. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> he was from Texas, though, so. Texas is probably like, we like you. So Jackie and I went to the Arlington National Cemetery yesterday morning. We did a stroll around. We got some footage. um, And then we went over and visited Audie Murphy's grave to show our respects and take some footage as well. We'll be posting that on social media so you can all see. Um, but it was, it was a really nice morning. We got there early and it's just, we've been there several times. We live in the area. We've been in the military. It's, it's something that we do, but it, it definitely is an experience every time you walk through, um, and out into the, the lands and start walking around. It's, it's humbling. It's definitely, uh, an experience I think everyone should, should have in their lifetime. Can it? Can I pull a soapbox out though, real quick? Yeah, please, please do. Yeah, I know where this is going. PSA for Arlington National Cemetery. Like Mel said, she and I are both veterans. We both know people who have lost their lives. Yes. If you are taking a high school group there, make them act right. Mm-hmm. If they are not acting right, stop take them, them out and take them out. Yeah. The phrase "hollow grounds" is I, not yeah. like it's not just a, a, a term. Of it. That's it means something. I have an issue walking by thousands and thousands of graves, listening to teenagers say stuff like, "Oh my god!" Like, did you hear what she said to me? Stuff like that, yeah. unacceptable. Yeah, and we're, these are graves. These are, you're talking about. There are graves there that are probably these kids' ages. There's a lot of mm-hmm. Vietnam graves. We're talking about kids that, that went, fought for their country and died. 18 years old, 18, some of them 17. Some of these graves too, we were noticing a lot. And I think I've noticed it before, but to, for some reason yesterday's visit, I was, I was picking them out much more than uh, I regularly do. There's a lot of like children as well mm-hmm. buried there where, um, you know, children of veteran service members during, born during wartime that did did not last more than a day, more than a week, more than a month. Like there are infant graves there too. Um, you have graves of people like Audie Murphy. There's there's tons of them. We saw this huge mausoleum that was for um, a an officer that was like basically fought almost in every single war from World War Two to present day. He had like he was part of D Day. You know, then he went mm-hmm. and fought in the Korean War. Then he fought in the Vietnam War. These are individuals that have just devoted their life. And I don't really care how what you think about this topic of, you know, military or what your feelings are for the United States or, or, or whatever. It really doesn't matter. Like, you have to separate it from the fact that these people devoted their lives to this cause. And, and they, they fought and for the most of them that are buried there did lose their life during battle. And yeah. we need and, to be respectful. And Arlington Cemetery is not a check the box kind of destination. No. 
you do not go there unless you can have the right mindset. You respect the people who are laying under the ground and sacrifice what they did. If they didn't lose their lives, they lost time, they lost opportunities so that you could have the life and opportunities that you have today. Exactly. And it's not all um, combat veterans that are buried there either. There is a whole section devoted to, to women during mm -hmm. everywhere from the Revolutionary War to current day that were, you know, nurses uh, that worked in the factories during World War II. Like they are also buried there. You know, they are also being recognized. There are monuments that are up along the way for the people that, that lost their lives in the 9-11 attacks and the flights and the Pentagon. So they're not all combat veterans either. They, these are just people that have died or, or devoted their life to this country. And it was, it, we don't, Jackie and I are by no means a bunch of Karens. So we're not going up and shushing people or anything, but it, it's, it's really disheartening to walk through the grounds of Arlington Cemetery and just see tr these tropes of kids teenagers with their parents and, and supervisors, well, not supervisors, uh, I guess uh, chaperones, we call them, and like just blatantly have no regard for what's around. They're literally walking right by graves. Well, the wreath laying at the mm -hmm. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and kid walks up and starts crinkling their water bottle Yeah, while taps is being played. Yeah. It's just, Yeah. All right, enough of that for both of us. We're both going to step off that soapbox. We'll probably come back to it. But let's go ahead and get into this plot. We did say earlier that the movie and the book do not depart from each other severely. There's a few things, like, for example, in the beginning, he's writing a letter. He's already in his base. He's writing a letter, the youth that is, to his father. But there's really no mention of his father in the book at all. I don't think there's any mention. It's really no, this relationship just between his him and his mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that the movie did a disservice here. And I wonder if it's because we're talking about early 1950s, that sort of son-father relationship. They wanted to play more on that because that's – you're talking about that, like, leave it to beaver um, mm -hmm. time frame. But in the story, you know, he's he's – writing well not writing back but he's in the beginning he's trying to convince his mother to let him go and he's he's fighting this inner battle about just signing up for the draft and telling his mom and but yeah. this is the part where i really wish they would have added this i don't know if it's the footage that got cut but it gives i think more insight to this character uh, about his motivations for wanting to join the army wanting to go to war they're not what I would call pure or I don't think he has bad or any sort of malintent. I also think he's just very misinformed of what yeah, that, it is. And well, he does mention in the book early on that he doesn't want, he didn't want people to talk about him. Yeah. So he's way. like, I don't, I don't want to be here. People are going to war. They're going to see me and I didn't go. And what are they going to say? Like, that's why he wants to go. And, I side with his mother because his mother is going back. No, you'll do better here. Like that's not, you're basically not made for that. And I really think it's because his mother knows him. That's her child. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you're not built for the war. Like this, you're not going to do well. And it's almost like foreshadowing because he really does not do well. And no. sort of everything that she alluded to kind of 
plays out. So I, it would have been nice if they if they kept that, but I I can almost understand that sort of fifties. The father is more important. Where I would say most soldiers in the Civil War were not writing back to their dads. They were writing because their dads either were fighting with them or alongside or whatever, but they were writing back oh, to their They mothers. were writing to their mothers, their sisters, their wives, their wives. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. They were not writing back to their dads or anything. No. Um, so that's, that's really it for the beginning because everything else sort of plays out almost verbatim. The, the lot of the dialogue is taken from the book and they use it in the movie. The only weird thing is the Jackie talked about earlier, the, the narration that's done. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say it's weird. Um, it threw me off a little bit because it's not just the narration of what's happening. It's also like, Hey, this is based on this book and this is what this book was doing. This is what this author is doing is it's like, uh, Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Just in case you forgot. Yeah. And then later on, there's some other narration that comes up that I don't even remember what he's talking about because it was just so disjointed. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, I don't need this. Thank you. And then at the end, there was the narration that kind of let us know that it was over. And again, I was like, thank you. Unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the uh, looking up at the treetops and seeing the sun filtering through which is the same thing you saw at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Was not enough of a cue or an obvious enough. Yeah. But also the the visual there, I think you don't need narration for it because I think anyone can understand that. That's sort of like when you're looking down at your feet right in front of you, it's just fucking chaos. Right. And you're like, this is, this is it. I'm going to die. It's never going to get better. But then when it's over, you're sort of like, you're seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. You're hearing the birds. Um, singing again you're you're seeing the sun shining like i think a lot of people most people because you gotta understand your audience is really not that stupid um they can understand that this is it's i mean like it's symbolic you know well i think today's audience might have some trouble understanding that yeah we're too harsh on them well i mean look at movies that are coming out recently what Everything is very literal. Everything is very obvious. The symbolism is just not there. Um, Mass I, market, like, popular films. Yeah, I mean, but I guess, like, I wouldn't give them too much grief, because that's it, it's what the market what the market wants. But, I mean, we just saw Elvis. That's a Baz Luhrmann film, and he's not one for being super literal. No, he's not, but he's not your average run-of-the-mill filmmaker. Jackie and I are just better than everyone else, and we can <laughs> we can appreciate the abstract. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to leave it at that for the beginning. It's just it, we lost a lot of character development there that I think, or introduction to his character, because we kind of like are just introduced to this Audie Murphy who's young, and he's like, you can tell he's nervous. He's crying when he's writing the letter. But I think we're misled in the movie to just see him as this scared kid where in the book, he really is kind of delusional. I did not like him in the book at all. Yeah. And that kind of colored my interpretation in the movie when I was watching it because I read first. 
Yeah. I the the character I just kept expecting him to just say something like posturing almost like yeah, yeah. I'm a big bad tough person and I'm going to fight meaner than anybody else and then run away. Yeah, so since I watched first what I got my my pers- perspective it was like he's just a scared kid you know when he's caught mm-hmm. up in this and I didn't have all that back story about his mother so I'm just seeing that this is a kid that got thrown into this he's scared doesn't know how to deal runs off then kind of realizes he made a mistake and he's trying to make his way back and not be you know and he feels guilty about it but in reality that's not what's happening he's just delusional going into it he's going into it for all the wrong reasons he leaves like, well, this is my duty. Like, I we shouldn't all die. Like, this is bad leadership. Like, we should all be running, you know? Like, he's never taking responsibility for his actions at all. Like, even to the very, very end when he does have his little redemption moment, it's still kind of twisted and warped for me. Yeah. yeah. It's not for the sake of anybody else. It's how everybody else sees him. Yeah. That's his motivation. So- as we move on into the middle of this plot, uh, they, I think they started consolidating some of the battle scenes and some of the act, uh, events that are happening. It's just sort of I honestly, together. I honestly think the forest battle was totally cut out because the the ending battle right before, uh, well, when he ends up getting or carrying the flag in and stuff like that. Yeah. That was almost scene for scene, word for word, what happened in the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I kind of got lost in the middle of it. I was like, what? Okay. Um, Oh, you know what we missed in the beginning, too? The the one soldier who tries to, in the movie, he tries to take a pig. And the girl beats him or something. It's actually a horse in in the book. He tries to steal a horse. Which I also yeah. thought was kind of odd. So I'm like, what are you going to do with that horse? What are you stealing? <laughs> but yeah, in the movie, it was a pig. It was, it was like, it was a strange thing to change because yeah. it's not like they didn't have horses on set. They had a whole bunch of horses. Well, I think I think that was one of those things. Well, we have to show what they did in Virginia. Oh yeah, maybe pigs. We had a lot of pigs. I don't I think mean, all pigs the horse would have been taken by an officer anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, true that, true that. So there's that. But like the event is still the same. It's just different animal. Mm -hmm. So then in the forest battle we talked about, that might have ended up on the in the burner, the incinerator or the the floor, the editing floor. But it it was Mm -hmm. gone. Another thing was in the book during one of the battles, the lieutenant gets shot in the hand Mm -hmm. pretty early on. And then, he, you know, he's obviously nursing that for the rest of the time but he's still like carrying on right Mm -hmm. uh he that doesn't happen in in the movie at all and that lieutenant you see him a lot so i just thought "Mm, constantly playing with his mustache yeah and i wonder if the movie like they just didn't care about building any of the other characters they just were focusing on the youth henry because i think that's a big part there's that lieutenant where he keeps Audie Murphy's character, the youth, has a lot of shit to say about the lieutenant, especially in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He does not like leadership. He's one of those, and Jackie and I have been in leadership positions in the military. We've had these soldiers that just think they know better um, and just talking shit the whole time. But 
really, this lieutenant is kind of a badass. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see anything that he's done during the book, specifically, where I go, oh, he's an idiot. Yeah, they, they don't show it too much in the movie, but in the book, he talks about him, like, standing up, running around, trying to rally the troops while they're taking fire. He yeah. is a moving target. Yeah. And, and he gets shot, and he's still going. Yeah. And he has, he's got a sword, he has out a sword. The whole time. Yeah. yeah, he's got a sword out the whole time. Like, I'm ready. Like, the what lieutenant the fuck is... What is a sword going to do against fucking muskets? I, I don't know, but to me, I think he was, like, a crazy badass. I'm like, get it, dude. Yeah. Um, but they left that out, which is fine. Another thing is, when he is trying to, like, go back, and he goes to the what he calls the right side... And there's another section of soldiers that start running off. And he's like, what's happening? What's happening? And he kind of gets smacked with the butt Mm -hmm. of the rifle. Um, It makes it seem like he falls on the ground in the movie and passes out. And then kind of comes to later. But in the book, he's really, like, he doesn't lose consciousness. He's just, like, straggling along for a couple hours. Yeah, he's dazed. He knows something's wrong. But he's like, I just got to go a little further. So then this uh this fat soldier comes what they call, I think they call him the cheery soldier or something. Yeah, cheery soldier the in the movie. Yeah, I call him yeah. the fat soldier. He comes and he's like, Where are you going to? Where are you from? You lost your regiment. And for some reason, his regiment just happens to be literally five steps away. And the guy's like, There mm-hmm. he is. <laughs> like, really? Really? Um my big thing this scene is it's essentially the same. But what it's different is in the book, the dialogue is a guy just sort of rambling about useless shit. But in the movie, they try to make it way more profound. And you're like, you know, if you, this is what I thought. If, if I if I die today, you know, sun's still going to come up tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. Like this. I don't know. <laughs> but that's not the dialogue in the book. The book is more like just rambling bullshit that the youth is not really paying attention to because he is probably has a massive concussion. (laughs) Oh yeah. After getting hit in the head like that with the butt of a rifle. Yes, definitely. And it must've been really bad because in the book, they talk about when the um, medic or corporal or whoever comes over to look at it. He, he might, he kind of looks at first. He's like, Oh man, this must've hit you hard. Like the ball. He's like, must've got necked by a ball, meaning the, the musket fire. Um, but he says there's like a big welt, but it, it kind of yeah. tore open his scalp a little bit. Yeah. That's why he, it gets away with looking like he got shot. Yeah. So that, that's a that's a big bad blow to the head. He definitely had a concussion. Um, something about the battle scenes where I agree with the one review is I'm seeming generic in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And I think in the book, you do get more of that sense that it's very confusing. It's a lot going on. Nobody really understands like where they're at on moving parts. Yeah, if this movie were made today, I think that they would have a lot easier time of translating the book to the movie. But yeah. Because, uh, or the movie, if it was made today. But given the time and, I guess, everything that ended up on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. It's just still over a million dollars? Jesus. But that million dollars probably including the stuff that's on the floor. Yeah. The incinerator. So. Yeah. Yeah. But they saved money filming in California. They did not film in Virginia. They filmed in Hollywood, California. 
for a mm-hmm. battle that most likely took place in Maryland or Virginia. Um, Probably Virginia. Yeah. They think it was yeah. Chancellorsville. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I will say that the book, you do get a better um, or more vivid experience with the battles. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So towards the end, um, this is where we start to get a little bit of the redemption arc because Henry, whatever his name is, the youth, he's really struggling with the fact that he left. And now he's like, I gotta, I gotta make, I gotta redeem this because everyone's going to be questioning me. Like he's, he's almost pathological to a point where he's like trying to come up with stories. If anyone asks him, um, he's got a guilty, guilty, guilty conscience, but everyone's just like, Oh, so happy for him to be back. You're not dead. That's fantastic. You know? Uh, but he's still like side eyeing people like, well, if they ask me this and I'm going to tell them to fuck off, you know, essentially. And then also <laughs> the, um, the loud soldier, his friend, let's call him his friend, even though they're not really friends, but they're like kind of counterparts. Wilson. We can yeah, Wilson. Wilson. Wilson, yeah. He, before the first battle, he gives in the book to the youth, he gives um, a stack of letters because he's like convinced he's going to die and he wants him to go to his family. In the movie, it's like, a, it's a pocket watch. Yeah. Weird. Something that they don't do in the movie is talk, show the whole part about him giving it back. Where mm-hmm. in the book, so in the movie, it's more like, oh, here's your watch back, you know, since we're here, we're both alive, like, we're, we're coming to terms with this. And, and Wilson's like, oh, thanks. But in the book, he's such an asshole. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, if he questions me about where I was or if I ran, he's like, I'm going to hold these, the, this, uh, this stack of letters against him. You know, that's my leverage. Like he's, what a dick. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to say like, oh yeah, well remember when you were a fucking coward and you thought you were going to die and you gave me your letters because you knew you were going to die. Like, what about that? Like, that's what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. What a douchebag. <laughs> so he, um, the the kid Wilson asks for them back eventually, and then he's like, "Shit, I don't have my leverage anymore." But he he can't really say that he doesn't have them. He I think he was for a split second he was going to make an excuse like he lost them or something, um, yeah. but he doesn't. He gives them back, and then he's like, "Damn, I don't have my leverage anymore." Um, but this is where we start to go into the final battles. They're marching. Um, the youth has a bit more. Uh, what do you call it? Um, bravado and about him where he's like, I I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make up for this and this is that. And these stupid soldiers next to me. And he's like embarrassed about them. He's still talking shit about the leadership. He's like, just so stupid. And the whole time I'm sitting, I'm like, this is so annoying. Cause I just imagine all the soldiers that I've had that are like that. You just, I've had be so like, many soldiers. They, they end up fucking up. It gets swept under the rug. And then somebody else does the same thing that they didn't get in trouble for, but they get in trouble and they're like, oh, that guy's a dumbass. I can't believe he did that. I'm like, you just yeah, it's like, did the same thing you, and got away with it. Yeah, you you did it. You, yeah. you, you did it. <laughs> uh, so the final scene now, or the final ramp up to the last battle is they've already did a push and They've he kind of goes a little crazy and starts running out and 
being wild and shooting and finding those lieutenants like, yo, get back here. Yeah. There's nothing. There's sh- nothing like, to shoot at. But he's like, you're a wildcat. If I had a thousand years, we'd be done with this in a week. You know, like he's he's giving him praise for the fact that he's being motivated. But at the same time, he's like, sit down. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're being stupid. So while they're waiting, there's this thing about like, oh, I'm thirsty. I think there's a creek over there. Let's go find it. In the book, they don't find the creek. Wilson and Henry don't find the creek, but they they have like all the other soldiers' canteens. But what they do find or happen again across is the general talking to the colonel, and the colonel of their regiment is saying, I guess they're talking about backup or support or who they can send in to do the charge. And the other two regiments are like not available or whatever, for whatever reason. But it's like, oh, we have the 304th. He's like, they fight like mule drivers, essentially saying like, they're (laughs) not very good. Um, But we can, you know, we can spare them. And then the general's like, cool, send them out and whatever. Yeah. Like he makes a statement like, they're not going to make it back. And the colonel's like, whatever. You know, that's what they hear. So... The guys, uh, Wilson and Henry, get out there and they're like, we're, we're going to charge. And the lieutenant's like, woohoo, this is exciting. Real battle. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's so ridiculous. So they do get sent out to charge. And this is where we get the very climatic, you know, like he's like, I need to motivate these guys. They, they We can't be an embarrassment. They can't call us mule drivers. That's really what we are. They're so stupid. He's like, but I'm going to motivate them. So he runs after and he takes the flag because uh, the flag bearer or the color guard um, is shot and it's going down. So he grabs their flag and he's running up out into the field in the middle of nowhere. That one review was like, he's running into people shooting at him and all he has is a flag. And it's like, yeah, America. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what else are you going to do? I don't think they were saying that back then, but yes, no. I think the sentiment <laughs> was there. They were both like America, <laughs> like, no, this America. Um, so he had this is supposed to be his redemption arc right that he redeems himself by being brave and getting out there and everyone sees it that's the thing he's not doing it like for himself in the sense where him doing it was enough he had an audience for it Mm -hmm. and that's why it means something yeah Especially uh, after the battle's over and the guy comes up and says, you'll never guess, you'll never guess. And so-and-so was talking about you and they asked who you were and I'm sorry, asked who you was. And yeah, and the, ahem, ahem, what the hell was that? Because it's in know. the book too. Ahem, ahem, he said. I swear he did. Ahem, ahem. I'm like, what? <laughs> who talks like this? Do they really talk like this? Um, was he clearing yeah. his throat? Was that what it was? But he wants to just get everything out that he found. Ahem. I don't know. I don't know. So it was all the all the dust and smoke. Ahem. Ahem. Yeah. He was a baby. Ahem. He should be major general. Ahem. Like okay. <laughs> so that's nice, I guess. And he's all happy with himself. And now he's like, I did good. I'm brave. But did you notice that, especially in the book, every time he did something good, he was thinking about what he would say in like the nursing home 
later on down the road or like sitting around a fire and people asked him to tell stories about the war. Yeah. He's like, when I go home and see that girl in school, this is what I'm going to tell her. And it's like, fantastic. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you. Again, it's all for very, very not, um, what do you call that? Not pure intentions. He's, he wants an audience. He wants definitely his badge of courage is yes. another saying for a wound. Because if you've been yeah. wounded, that is your red badge of courage. Yeah. But his only wound is he got smacked in the head by another deserter. Yeah. So <laughs> good for you, dude. Um, another big thing is in the movie, we do that final sort of, not the final scene, but close to it where he's, confessing to Wilson about running off and then Wilson's like, well, I ran off too. That didn't happen in the book. That was one of the most interesting facts that I, that I found about that scene. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. It said at one point in the original script, the loud soldier or Wilson accused Fleming of cowardice. During repeated retakes, the accusation got to Audie Murphy, who finally accused Bill Malden of trying to get at him with the line. Murphy also had trouble admitting that he was a coward in the scene. Finally, Malden suggested, I think Audie is having trouble confessing to a Stars and Stripes cartoonist that he ran from a battle. And for those of you who don't know, Stars and Stripes is like the official newspaper of, of the uh, army. And that is who Malden worked for as a cartoonist. John Houston did a hurried rewrite so that Malden could confess his fear first, prompting Murphy's character to admit to his own feelings. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like you have a war hero who's got Mm -hmm. some seriously undiagnosed, very, very bad PTSD. And you're putting him in this situation with another veteran that he knows and they're having this dialogue. Yes, it's scripted, but that's pulling up some some bad juju for him. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a deserter. No, I'm not. It's like, no, no, dude, you're supposed to say you are. And it's hard. And I could, I mm-hmm. get it. But the fact that they had to do that in the first place, they wouldn't even have this problem if they followed the book because he doesn't confess to shit no. in the book. But again, we're in this sort of leave it to beaver uh, period in American history where... I guess they needed that truth bearing at the end. As long as it was spun in a certain way and there was yeah. redemption after the fact. Yeah. Cause it, it, if you don't get that in the book, he literally just, well, I did it. People saw it. That's all I need. I have witnesses. <laughs> like, I have stories I'm not a coward to tell. Anymore. Yeah. I'm not a coward anymore. Which. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll get to it now with the. The false. Yeah. Then, you know, we get the whole ending where we see the birds singing and the sun's coming through. It's shining and they're all happy. But in reality, these dudes are just being marched off to another battle. Because it's it's anywhere between 1862 and 1863 Civil War. They're still going. They're not. The war is going on for another Two to three years. Yeah. Because one of the soldiers makes a comment of, um, can we make it home for spring harvest? And it's like, no, no, you're not. Because guess what happens after this one, if it is, in fact, Chancellorsville? Gettysburg. Yeah. 
They're just Although going to the union came blood. out on top on that one, so. But still, a lot of fucking people yeah. died. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. So it yeah. <sighs> may have won, but it's still gruesome. So it's sort of this mm-hmm. false happy ending where in the movie, they're walking off into the sunset kind of deal or sunrise in this case. Um, but you, it falls flat because you have to understand that they're being marched to another battle mm-hmm. and they're already tired and worn and injured. Like there's a lot of them and they're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. It's the end of the movie. Happy ending. The book, I don't, I don't think you get much of a happy ending per se. Um, it's just sort of matter the fact. Like, yeah, it, I mean, I guess because he's like, He'd been, he had been an animal blistered and sweating in the heat and pain of war. He turned now with a lover's thirst to images of tranquil skies, fresh meadows, cool brooks, an existence of soft and eternal peace. Over the river, golden ray of sun. Oh, over the river, a golden ray of sun came through the hosts of leaden rain clouds. So I guess it's giving you the like imagery of a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But there's no real sense of closure. It's kind of like it. It is what it is for now. Um, or ha- we we were listening to the podcast, uh, the boobies and newbies, and we learned a new phrase. You know, maybe not a happily ever after, but a happy for now. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the type of ending where it's a happy for now in this immediate moment. As happy as they can be, and more. All right. Let me go ahead and give our reviews. Then, Jackie, you read first. Why don't you go ahead? Okay, so for the book, I would say a 3.5 out of 5. Uh, I mean, it was a quick read. It was no Little Women. Mm. So that immediately bumped it up a little bit in my book. Uh, movie, I would give a 5 out of 10. It doesn't depart too much from uh, the book, there are some additions like the um, the finding the water and some, yeah, some yeah. other minor stuff. Um, and that there, there are some question marks that popped up in my head throughout watching. Um, and then there are some omissions that got lost on the cutting room floor. Um, and by that, I mean thrown in the incinerator accidentally yeah. or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh no, this box full of film is gone. It's the only one we have. Oh, no. And that is thanks to MGM, specifically the second M in MGM. Fuck Um, that second M. (laughs) I think think whatever was lost could potentially, I'm not a psychic, so I don't know, could potentially have answered some of those questions or filled in some of those gaps, but... I'm I'm not going to bank on that. Uh, maybe Mel, we were talking about time travel after we see Elvis in his mm. comeback uh, show. Yes, uh, maybe maybe go back and hold the studio hostage and get the the footage and give it to Audie Murphy in person. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, that would make yeah. for a good movie or yeah. story. <laughs> Um, I watched first, so I would have ranked the movie higher, but then I read. 
So I gave the book a three out of five. A three out of five to me is not a bad book. It's still a good book. It's just, I probably won't read it again. Um, if somebody asked me about it, I would definitely encourage them to read it. I would not dissuade anyone from reading this. Um, so three out of five. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. It, especially because it, it is very quick and easy. Three out of five, easy. The movie now, though, I probably would have given it a five or six out of ten before. But after reading the book, I'm, I'm giving it a three out of ten. And I think it's because we just lost a lot of what was made the youth such a flawed character and which might have been in that lost footage that when we did get to the redemption arc, it really fell flat for me. Um, Not that it's much better in the book, but in the book you get a a deeper sense for how, how flawed of a character he is or in the movie. I really thought it started off thinking he was just a scared kid or in the book. I realized he's not just a scared kid. He's a stupid delusional kid. So, <laughs> three out of ten movie. So we we read it, we watched it. Um, did not DNF because we don't do that. We do it so you don't have to. But I'm going to say read this. Okay, I would honestly say either. Although given my ratings, I do tend to more more towards the read side. But uh, it's kind of like, uh, oh, which one did I say this for? You do either, but don't do both. So just yeah. and stick with it. Yeah. I think Sharp Objects was that one, too, that you said. Yeah. Do one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with Reed. Cause, uh, Fair enough. I think you're missing stuff if you watch it and don't read it. Yeah. So this is our first read of our military, American Military Month. Um Next week, we are moving on to World War II, and we are doing uh, Lauren Hildebrad's, right? Is that how you say her name? Hildebrad? Mm-hmm. Hildenbrad? Lauren Hildenbrad, uh, Unbroken. That is the story of, he was an Olympian. He was an American mm-hmm. Olympian who joined the services and then was taken as a uh, prisoner of war in, by the Japanese, and it's his story through there. Um, it's powerful. Yep. I... Uh, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be, that's probably going to be a much more sullen week next week. Cause this is a deep, deep, dark story. I think, I think we're going to go down next week and the week after maybe up a little bit because Jarhead is just, it's. Well, it's we ridiculous. were soldiers is after that. No, I, I said we're going to go down okay, next got week and the week after. And then got the week it, after it, that, yeah. we're going to go up a little bit. And then after that, um, I'm going to be a mess. Yeah. Jarhead's going to lighten it up a little bit. It's still a messed up story and movie. But yeah, yeah the, I, we're, we're, I don't think we thought about this well. We're going to close it out this month, probably in the lowest of lows. So mm-hmm. next week, Unbroken. It's uh, Lauren Hildenbrad's story. Uh, she wrote it. Well, it's not fictional. It's a true story. And then it's the movie. I think it's 2010 yeah. or so. Uh, that was directed by Angelina Jolie. Okay. Well, until then, guys. Bye. Bye.